We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. When someone dies suddenly or under suspicious circumstances, forensic pathologists step in to investigate. They conduct autopsies, run laboratory tests, and review reports from law enforcement agencies. What happens when this unseen process is neglected? What are the consequences? Bruce Goldfarb's latest book, OCME, Life in America's Top Forensic Medical Center, traces the history of Maryland's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner back to setting up the first city morgue in Baltimore in 1890. Goldfarb explores how chronic underfunding and understaffing endangers the agency's public health mission. Before Goldfarb spent a decade as the executive assistant to the chief of the OCME, he'd already had careers in emergency services and journalism. He's also the author of 18 Tiny Deaths, about the life and work of Francis Glessner Lee, a pioneer of forensic science. Welcome back to the show, Bruce. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I want to start with the end of your book. In the early months of 2022, there is a backlog of more than 200 bodies to be examined. The office has run out of space to store decedents. How did things get to that point? Uh, It got to that point by not having enough forensic pathologists and having uh, too many deaths referred to the agency. What kinds of deaths? Well, these are, you know, pretty much any death that's outside of a hospital or nursing home or a hospice, sudden unexpected death. So uh, a lot of the big increase between 2013 and 2019, uh, 2020, and, and it's still going on, is there's a big increase from uh, deaths from opiates and other strong synthetic narcotics. So even though the pandemic was still raging. The backlog you write about wasn't because of COVID deaths. No, very. There were some that came through the OCME, but most COVID deaths uh, happened in hospitals or while somebody was under the care of a doctor. And since that's the natural cause, it's not a medical examiner case. Although there were some uh, who didn't have access to healthcare or died at home, and for one re- reason or another, had to uh, come through. So with this backlog in early 2022, um, the state of Maryland turned to the federal government for assistance just about a year ago. What happened? That's right. They did call in. um, There are limits to how many autopsies one doctor should or could do in a year. And uh, at the OCME, they, they had well exceeded those limits. Uh, and that's why they instituted, they, they limited the number of autopsies that could be done in a day per doctor. And, and that led to the backlog quite quickly. And uh, it got to the point where um, the, the, uh, the doctor who was the chief at the time, Victor Whedon, turned to uh, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Administration, to get the DMORT, a Disaster Operational Response Team, to... Um, come in and and uh, they lent some uh, a few doctors a, a couple of teams and they helped out a, a bit but really the bulk of catching up on the on the backlog was was done by just absolutely incredible work by the OCME doctors and is I know you n- no longer with the agency is it your impression that the backlog is caught up now my understanding is yes um, 
they are, are keeping on, on top of things, uh, you know, for now, but, you know, long-term, and, and I have to point out that this problem is not limited to Maryland. This is a, a very, very severe nationwide issue with this uh, shortage of forensic pathologists, but, you know, going forward, um, they, they just desperately need more workforce, more manpower, more doctors. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast, speaking with Bruce Goldfarb, who served from 2012 to 2022 as the spokesman for Maryland's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. He's written about the office and his experiences in the new book, OCME. Even with the pandemic backlog resolved, you write that the office has been in, quote, a years-long tailspin, close quote. How far back does the neglect, the lack of staff, the lack of funding, how far back does it go? It actually goes back uh, before day one. It's It's been a thing, uh, caring for the dead, that has been neglected uh, through history. Uh, in, in this particular case, in the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, at least to the 1950s, the, the, uh, the guy who was the chief from 1949 till 1984, Dr. Russell Fisher, uh, who was just a, a giant in the field and well-respected. And uh, I found a newspaper clip from the late 1950s where he pointed out that um, the amount of money that the state of Maryland spent on the medical examiner's office was less than they spent to, to stock fish in the, in the state's lakes. And I checked the state budget, and strangely enough, um, that's still true, that they spend more on recreational fishing in the state of Maryland than they do on forensic death investigation. Um, and, and so that has always been a case. It's always been, you know, uh, hat in hand. It's not an extravagant agency. It's not a, a, a costly agency. In fact, it operates um, the average cost to run a forensic medical center in a, a city like this is a little over three dollars per citizen per taxpayer per year and the ocme operates at uh, the dollar and 90 something cents they're about one third below the average so it's extremely streamlined very efficient and uh, really operates in a shoestring on its best days on its best days you raise that as if you think the circumstances under which it was operating near the end of your tenure were not its best days I, I, that's just not my opinion. I think that when it gets to the point when you have to basically call, uh, declare a disaster and get in uh, Demore to bail you out, uh, that speaks for itself. You're describing a situation in, in 2022 where opioid deaths were rising, the city's homicide rate and other shootings continued, certainly didn't abate. I mean, what is the solution for the OCME? We need more doctors. There need to be more forensic pathologists uh, nationwide. They're just not being produced at a, uh, a quantity sufficient to take care of needs. There are m- maybe 450, 500 forensic pathologists in the entire country who are working. And the National Association of Medical Examiners says that um, we need today, right now, uh, you know, a thousand to twelve hundred forensic pathologists to just to handle present day needs. But um, every year, there's fewer than forty forensic pathologists who are produced from the fellowship programs and take the boards, and so that's just not enough to 
replace those who are aging out, leaving the system, retiring. Um, and so, um, you know, that that is a very serious problem. That would take years to correct, uh, to recruit people into the area, to make salaries competitive with the private sector. Um, the uh, Another solution is to have some sort of paraprofessional, which they've done with the nurse practitioners and uh, I, I was a paramedic. We were, you know, basically uh, paraprofessionals to emergency physicians. Um, you know, there's that raises other issues uh, on its own. They're they're not accepted as expert witnesses in court. There's all kinds of issues that that uh, go along with that. But either, um, you know, we we make we we train more people to do this work, or we. Uh, turn to a, a paraprofessional and have them step in to do what a forensic pathologist, just, you know, are, are not available to do. You compare the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner to other unseen systems like the sewers or the electrical grid. What does it mean for the public when the OCME isn't functional? Well, and that's an important thing is that, you know, fortunately, most people, most Marylers, most Baltimoreans will will never have an interaction with the OCME during their lifetime. Um, and uh, it, it is like one of these things. We watch the TV shows, CSI and that whole genre. And you have this idea that anytime somebody dies suspiciously or suddenly under questionable circumstances that there's this team of professionals who scour the scene for evidence and the body goes to a well-equipped forensic medical center for a, uh, an autopsy. And, um, you know, that, the fact is that that doesn't happen all the time and doesn't happen in every place in the United States. Uh, Maryland is in pretty good shape uh, in terms of doing that. But, you know, we, when we pick up the, when there's, we have an emergency, we, we pick up the phone, we call 911, we expect that to be answered and to people to respond. When you flip the light switch, you, we expect the lights to come on. We only notice it when it doesn't work. In the case of forensic death investigation, though, the consequences of, of that part of the public health system failing, uh, the consequences really can be catastrophic to, to the individuals and, and to the public. Well, most of us don't realize what those consequences are. Tell me some. For one, in terms of an individual, that a, a death is, you know, thoroughly and competently investigated. Um, when they write the death certificate, uh, and this is an official document that's issued by the state, and it contains all these facts about a person, aside from their name and their age, but there's the cause of death and there's the manner of death. So, you know, this is these are not trivial subjects, and it's uh, this is for posterity, and this is. Uh, in a sense, you know, a part of a person's heritage, they're uh, what they'll be remembered for. Um, and um, so there's that, that I would like it to be correct uh, in the case of my death or somebody that uh, I care about, um, that it be the, the true and correct information. But in an, in an aggregate, when you look at the entire population, it's really important to know what people are, are dying from to measure the health of the population, to identify trends, to know uh, what specific drugs are emerging on the streets, and not just in some jurisdictions, uh, they just fill in that line and let's say narcotic and not say what what kind of drug it was. Where you know in, in Maryland, fortunately, and 
excess of 90, 95%, almost 100% of the time, they, they will say what specific drug it is on the, on the cause of death, which is an important piece of information for statistics to study these things. And Maryland has had uh, very significant contributions to public health because it has a very good data set. The Johns Hopkins School of Public Health has uh, used Maryland data for uh, just tremendous things. Well, I have the impression from your book that those determinations are made, that examination is done, but it was just really backlogged last year and, and has been at different points. What's the effect of doing it slowly? The, the issue with the backlog is that they, they didn't speed up. No matter how many cases there were, you still have to take each one and do everything systematically and deliberately. Uh, and, and that's the concern is that you, that you feel this pressure to speed up. Right. And I'm trying to understand, are there ill effects from that pace? There, there are ill effects from that pace, aside from having a, a high caseload uh, and leading to burnout. The National Association of Medical Examiners issues these standards for accreditation of facilities, and there is a limit that they put of 250 cases per medical examiner per year. When you do too many, there, there is an increased risk that of overlooking things, of, of skipping something, missing something, mistakes happen, evidence gets lost, uh, there's that pressure to hurry. The, the concern is that something that looks straightforward and obvious uh, may not be so straightforward and obvious. You, you don't know until uh, you actually look at somebody, whether there are marks on the body, something might look like a straightforward drug overdose, but then when you get further in on the examination and investigation, it turns out there's, there, there is indeed some foul play. But if you dismiss things uh, as not medical examiner cases too soon, there, there is that risk uh, that something is going to be missed. Is there an impact on families when examinations are delayed? There's a tremendous impact on the families. In the case of the backlog that there was last year, the, the impact was was just absolutely heartbreaking because these people had, uh, they had to delay their funeral and memorial services. People would make their travel plans. They already booked their hotel. They flew in. They already took their vacation days. And then they find out that the body won't be released for another week or two. And they had to change plans. The families need that death certificate in order to get life insurance benefits, burial benefits, social security survivor benefits. And during that time, uh, other investigations are on hold. I'm not aware of any homicides that were delayed, investigations that were delayed in, in Maryland, but uh, in other jurisdictions where there, uh, there are delays to get that written report are, are months or even years, that during that time, everything else is on hold. So it has really, really dramatic uh, effects on next of kin and families and really inflicts hardship on people while they're grieving. That's Bruce Goldfarb, former executive assistant to the chief of Maryland's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. His new book is OCME, Life in America's Top Forensic Medical Center. He'll be speaking about it next Wednesday, March 1st, at the historic Osler Hall at MedKai. Short break on the record when we're back. Coroners versus forensic pathologists. What's the difference? I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Mm-hmm.
Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Maryland established its first office of the chief medical examiner in 1939, transforming the former city morgue into a statewide forensic facility. Independent of the police and the state's attorney, the OCME maintains the sacred doctor-patient relationship even after a person's death. My guest is Bruce Goldfarb. His new book, OCME, Life in America's Top Forensic Medical Center, offers a humanizing look into the process by which every sudden or unattended death in the state is investigated. Bruce, you write that about half of the U.S. population lives in areas under the coroner system of investigating deaths instead of forensic pathology. What's the difference? It's really absolutely fascinating. The coroner in most places is an elected official, doesn't have to have any particular training in forensic science. 13 states are strictly on the coroner system, 23 that have medical examiners, and there's 14 that have both coroners and medical examiners. Only a third of the state that have coroners require them to have any sort of training at all. And places that do have training, it's very, very minimal, typically 40 hours. In, I believe it's Alabama, uh, they have, uh, they require 12 hours a year of training on forensic uh, for, to be a coroner. And of those 12 hours, much of that's taken up by the administrative things, filling out the death certificate and very, very little an actual forensic investigation. And, um, and they're signing death certificates. Uh, in a state like Missouri, for example, and, and this is common in not just Missouri, but Indiana, New York, and many other places that have coroners, the only qualification to be a coroner is that you are uh, over the age of 21 uh, and eligible to hold public office, that you live in the state for at least one year, you live in that jurisdiction for at least six months, and you get more votes than the other guy. By comparison to cut hair legally in Missouri, to be a licensed barber, you have to have 1,500 hours of training and pass a test. So there are big, big, big differences between coroners and medical examiners. What is the typical process when a deceased person comes to the OCME? It begins, it's called in typically by the police or the next of kin, a family member. Uh, they have a trained forensic investigator, goes to every scene every time. The, every, the scene is documented, photographed. Person, if it's necessary to bring them in for a full examination, they're brought to the the OCME in uh, downtown Baltimore near the medical center. They'll do an autopsy and then they'll, they'll do laboratory tests, uh, toxicology. You know, what they do, believe it or not, is the very same thing that we undergo when we go for an annual checkup with the doctor. You go to the doctor, they do a physical examination, they palpate and listen, um, they uh, send you for your analysis, they do blood work, they do a chest x-ray, and then we'll see how you are. Uh, they do the very same thing. The autopsy is a physical examination and they'll do the x-rays, the urinalysis, the blood work, and, and, and they are actually doctors diagnosing the cause and manner of death. That's Bruce Goldfarb, who spent a decade working in Maryland's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Goldfarb has written about the office and his experiences in a book titled OCME, Life in America's Top Forensic Medical Center. Uh, one of your responsibilities at the OCME was to handle inquiries from relatives of the deceased people who were searching for their loved ones. How did you approach those conversations? With a lot of patience and listening, people are going through a range of emotions. It's you know very often quite raw. 
And so just let them speak and ventilate and provide as much information as I was able to. I, I treated people the way I would want to be treated myself. You include in the book lots of stories uh, of speaking with family members. Share, share one of them with us. Oh, there are a few. I mean, that was that was uh, quite routine. I don't know if I could let me think of one in particular. Um, you wrote about a man. You were the first person to tell him that his yes. family members was was deceased. Yeah, I was pretty new on the job. I hadn't really been there all that long, and uh, the phone rang, and and it was uh, talking with a a young man who said that. Um, he had heard that his sister just died and um i i looked on the our the computer system and they have the daily conference sheet and i saw that her name was there for the following day and and it must have been you know the the notification of next of kin is up to the police so they were probably trying to look for the family and so, this was so recent so fresh that he got to me before they, the police got to the family. And it, it's really, I had never done a death notification before. And, um, you know, it was really, uh, wasn't expecting this. You're, you're just having a day and all of a sudden you have to break the news to somebody and, and um, it suddenly puts you in an unexpected place. But I, I said, yeah, yeah, she's here. She's, she's dead. And he just, wailed and said you oh, what do i do now and hung up the phone and just sort of uh, those, those sorts of things were um uh they were routine and you know upsetting but um you deal with it and go on well this decade that you spent working at the ocme how did it shape your thoughts about life and death ever since i had I started out in my first life as an EMT and, and, a, and a paramedic, and um, you know, you you do see people's lives change very quickly, and you don't realize this. Um, that uh, you know, I have a friend who is an 18-year-old kid going swimming and jumps into a pond and he snapped his neck. But uh, you know, things things can happen uh, very quickly and change your life. And you know, I've always known that that accidents happen and. It wasn't my first exposure to death. It was my first exposure to a state system like this, to the forensic death investigation. Uh, and that was quite an experience. I don't know if it changed my outlook about uh, death so much, uh, except of its inevitability. Uh, but what it did, it really did show me, if, if it were to be me, and honestly, it could be any one of us, but if we're, I, I know that if I'm driving on the beltway or if I go somewhere, if I uh, die in a car crash, these are the people who would be taking care of me. And, and that actually gives me quite some comfort because I, I know I would be in good hands with some decent, caring people who are just really dedicated and respectful. And and that knowledge actually gives me some peace of mind <laughs> to know that uh, I would go to the OCME of Maryland versus, you know, some other place. But um, you just never know. Things can happen quickly. And so it does it does tend to make you think more in the moment when i'm with my family i try and be more present and uh, more engaged i tell my family that i love them a lot um because i i think that's important to leave things on a on a positive note like that if i can bruce thank you thank you for having me 
Bruce Goldfarb spent a decade as the executive assistant to the Chief of Maryland's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. His latest book is OCME, Life in America's Top Forensic Medical Center. He'll be speaking about it next Wednesday, March 1st, at the historic Osler Hall at MedCi, 1211 Cathedral Street in Mount Vernon. We have information about how to register at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.